I just saw like this movement out the window in my peripheral vision. And it's just some guy just hopped on my bike to start to ride away. And I just remember chasing him down. And there's a security guard there who had this like town cruiser bike that he let me borrow. <laughs> I was like trying to ride after this guy. I'm like, this is not happening. The last checkpoint was at the top of a, it was like a closed ski resort. Well, it closed because it wasn't winter. And then, um, yeah, the next day we we're in one of the biggest cities in the world <laughs> on our bikes. Just, and it was just built overall, like there's a Facebook group for all the riders and we're all kind of watching it and posting updates. And it turned into a super typhoon. And it like, it just missed Kyushu where we started and it kind of made landfall around Tokyo. So like just made it in time. That's Mike Gurnham. And this is the Bike Pack Canada podcast. again friends welcome back to the bike pack canada podcast i'm your host steve o'shaughnessy well first i want to open and say thank you to everyone who left five star ratings and reviews on apple itunes um i really appreciate it it's awesome it's going to help bike pack canada grow and it certainly warms my heart that the conversations i'm having are resonating with you um so i'm super happy to be able to have these convos and and share them and i'll continue to do so so last week was Global Fat Bike Day and Global Fat Bike Day weekend in Invermere. I sent an invite out to Guy Stewart, who grace, graciously accepted and came out and uh, slept on my futon and uh, rode fat bikes with me uh, Friday night and Saturday. And I think he had a, a really good time. Uh, we have got a good crew of riders out here and, and it was super fun. But I guess why I bring that up is because uh, we had a little conversation in my studio and I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you. Guy is an a very interesting person and I've been looking forward to talking to him for a long time. So stay tuned for that. The one thing I wanted to mention though, was that, uh, during that podcast, um, he, he was here with my family and, uh, and there's, there's, there's no way I'm going to be able be able to filter out all the thumps and bashes and crashes that are happening in the house. So it's going to be a uh, live in studio in definitely not a soundproof studio. Um, conversation with guy and uh yeah i don't think the kids actually came into the room this time but uh i can't remember i can't remember but anyway <laughs> it's gonna be a fun one i hope you like it so uh today i'm happy to bring you a conversation with mike gurnham mike gurnham's company thief bikepacking has been making bags for the last handful of years and i was also really interested to talk to mike about his journey on the japanese odyssey it sounded like this race really tested his limits Mike's a great storyteller, and there's lots of fun stories to listen to in this conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. So without further delay, I bring you Mike Gurnham. Hey, Mike. Hey, Steve. How's it going? Good. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. Do I have, like, stars going across my face? No. Oh, man. I launched my video, and it was all, like, all sparkly and... I don't know. I was just like, I hope that doesn't do that the whole time. That <laughs> <laughs> looks fine. Right on. Hey, so uh, how's it going? Pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in Jasper and pretty happy about that. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do there? Are you just making bags um, full time or? No, that's, <laughs> I was planning on doing that a lot this winter. Um, I work at a bike shop, but that's pretty slow. Yeah. Summer I go, summer I'm rafting. And then in the winter I'll be doing um, ice walks in Moline Canyon. Oh, cool. So just a variety of guiding. That's all right then. Yeah, it's pretty good. 
Awesome. So are you feeling recovered? Are you feeling rested up? I think so. Yeah. It's yeah. nice to be back. Still definitely like definitely jet lagged. <laughs> yeah. Tough to recover from. Yeah, no but, doubt. Um, I haven't been on a, I haven't really been on my bike in a while now. Um, but I think it's pretty much recovered from Japan. That was quite a, a lot of exertion, I guess. And yeah, <laughs> I've never done anything like that. So I think it takes quite a while to get, get back to normal after something like that. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, you and I are just meeting for the first time. So, so why don't you just like, just tell me a bit about you. So, you know, just start from the beginning. Beginning. Um, Could be the beginning of time. We we could go back really far if you want. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, I'm originally from London, Ontario. So I was born there. um, 31 years old. Um, Went to school in Ottawa. um, University studied accounting which was not my favorite thing, but I, I did that for four years. And after that, I went to um, Algonquin College um, for they have an outdoor guiding program, which um, you being out west in Canmore, I'm sure you've run into a lot of grads from that program and spoken to them. And we're all, all over uh, Western Canada in the guiding world. So I did that. Uh, it's a two-year program, which is pretty awesome if, if for people trying to get out in, like, into the guiding world. Um, in between the first and second year is when I came to Jasper for rafting. Um, so I spent a summer out here. I've moved around a lot, so I'm trying to like figure it all out. Um, it's so easy to forget. It's, it's so, so easy. Yeah. yeah I was. Yeah, I, I spent a summer. So, no, let's so go ahead. I'm, I'm from Deep River, so I actually. Lived, oh no way! Yeah, I lived in I lived yeah. in Ottawa for um, maybe about a year. I lived in um, Sandy Hill. Just. Okay. Just kind of yeah, down yeah, the hill. Yeah, that's right beside campus. Yeah, and I think I was at Ottawa U. Oh, right. Okay, you you said Algonquin, so I was going to ask you which campus. Yeah. So, uh, um, Ottawa U and Ottawa, and then the Pembroke campus um, mm. for Algonquin. Yeah, I used so to right skateboard in Pembroke. Yeah, nice. Yeah, the new skate park there actually. <laughs> oh, <now>. <laughs> this was um, in the day when it was just naughty, naughty curbs and just crappy pavement, yeah. <laughs> big wheels. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, so I ended up in Jasper, and obviously loved the mountains. Um, I was here for a few years. I've spent a summer in Canmore. I worked for Backroads, um, doing the bike tour guiding. Um, through that, I kind of got interested in bike mechanics. I moved out to, uh, uh, I went to Quadra Island. There's a bike mm. mechanic school there. Uh, that's um, where Naked Bikes is, right? Yeah, I actually, um, so I was there at the school as a six-week uh, course with this, this guy, Smokey. Pretty cool uh, old hippie kind of guy, but yeah. he knows a lot about bikes. And then, um, yeah, I actually met up with um, the guy's name is Sam, who does the the frame builder for naked bikes oh, cool. and kind of went for a tour around his shop and he was out on a few group rides and uh yeah i saw his shop which is phenomenal yeah he does some pretty uh pretty cool work there um found my way back to jasper worked at a bike shop here called free wheel cycle which isn't around anymore but um i'm sure a lot of people uh, listening would re- recognize that yeah um then I moved back to Ontario and actually ended up working in Petawawa at a bike shop, Gearheads. I don't know yeah, if you. Okay. Uh, I used to go to Petawawa one, to uh, buy guitars. There was a, the, the only music, or the closest music store to Deep River was in was in Petawawa. So I used to, okay. go to buy was, strings and stuff. <laughs> oh, nice! I don't think there's one there anymore. I had to go to Pembroke for that. <laughs> yeah, it's just a military town, right? So they, I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a pretty pretty awesome bike shop there that I worked at for a couple of years, and I was at the same time I was teaching with the college program. Um, so I kind of went back. Um, I started doing just their, in the fall semester, they have mountain biking and cycle touring and bike mechanics for the first and second year students. So I was teaching with that. And then um, 
two summers ago, I did a, I was working for a Canadian company called TDA Cycling, which kind of specializes in like worldwide expedition style bike touring, I guess. Um, not so much guided as kind of just supported. So I was working as a support staff and bike mechanic on the Silk Route. So that oh, was a nice. five, five, yeah, that was a, it was an experience for sure. It was a five month uh, expedition from Beijing to Istanbul. Wow, that's so, so all cool. through Central Asia, yeah, it was pretty, pretty awesome. A lot of hard work, and but a lot of pretty, uh, pretty amazing places to be, and kind of places hard to get to. Probably never go back to a lot of those parts of the world. So, any interest in racing that that route? Not is it I the never same? Really have. Is it oh, the same route that they race, or is it slightly different? So you're talking the Silk Road Mountain Race? Yeah, is that kind of the same thing? So that's just a that's in Kyrgyzstan, which is a, a country oh. we traveled through. Right. Um, that's I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, I've looked into that. It looks just insanely hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, problem is, like anything for me to do any trips or anything. Like summer is a bad time because that's kind of the guiding season in Jasper. Yeah. I got about a solid two months to make money. In the right. Summer. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure that's in in August. Is the mountain race Silk Road? Yeah, I can't remember. Um, but. Um, Sorry, tangented one, though. That'd be that'd be amazing to to work over it there. It would be, yeah. It was cool. Like Kyrgyzstan was one of my favorite countries. Yeah. Just the mountains are phenomenal. But um, yeah, five months through through Central Asia and finished in Istanbul. Came home, moved back out west, and just back to Jasper. I think this is my third stint living in Jasper. And yeah, it's just so great. I I can't get away. So I work at a, a place called the Bench Bike Shop. It's a new shop. Um, and then went back to rafting and, and ice walk guiding, which I've done before. So, yeah. Well, we're in the region for that, right? Like guiding, whether it be biking or hiking. Yeah. Or, you know, skiing. Pretty much. That's yeah, great. anything. Pretty much anything. Like it's a little different in, in Jasper. And obviously, in, like if you're in Banff, like there's a few more restrictions being in a national park. Mm. But pretty much from Rockies West, there's kind of a lot of potential for, for that. So. so you've been touring a long time then on a bike in um, some regard. In some regard, yeah. Well, I was just actually thinking just a little while. Like my first big tour was actually in Japan, and that was four years ago, about four years ago. So I guess it's, it hasn't really been that long. So that was kind of your first done, your first big tour. Yeah, I done a few kind of like three, five, or maybe a seven day, a couple like around like Icefields Parkway and uh, Gulf Islands, and I did a, a tour in the east coast of Maine for about seven days. Oh, nice. um, oh you've been everywhere. Yeah, that was part of uh, part of the part of the college program. Actually, like oh, the cool. final the final thing you do after your two years is not like you don't have any final exam. Well, you do, but um, the fi- the culminating activity is like a student planned and led expedition. So you go without instructors. <laughs> so ours, the one I chose with my group, is a seven day cycle tour in the East Coast of Maine, which is pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, yeah, my first big. Uh, kind of solo tour of my own is about four years ago. I went to Japan for two months and that was just like a road, road tour, classic, like rack and panny. Yeah. I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think bike packing was in my vocabulary back then. Right. It probably wasn't even that big for like even four years. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty fresh. I mean, I think there's pretty there's been companies building bags for, for quite a while, I think, but yeah. not, probably not to the volume that we see now. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, everyone's doing it now, and obviously that's someone else I do with um, my own little side company called. Oh Thief. wait, oh wait, make... wait! 
We're going to get there. I'm kidding. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> no, no, I have no, I have no structure. Edit all. that one out. <laughs> no, no, I'm just being a jackass. Um, <laughs> no, that's, uh, I was going to go there, but it's like, um, yeah, for sure. so the rack and pannier, um, so had you seen traditional bike packing setups while you were on your, your pannier setup? And I'm just like, oh yeah, look at that. Like that's, or no, no, I don't remember how I kind of discovered bike packing. It might have been actually, um, Jeff Bartlett, who you know, obviously. Yes. Um, because I was working at Freewheel and it was around the time I was going to uh planning my trip to Japan and I was getting all the gear and and he that was he was talking about this the Baja Divide route and mm. it was just brand new at the time. I ended up attempting to ride that. Uh my bike was stolen partly. Oh through, no so that, way. I ended that. <laughs> like in all your stuff? All my stuff, oh. yeah. <laughs> tell tell us about but, that. Uh, that was um yeah, that was my first like bike packing trip and it was about a not even a year after Japan and I might have fallen into the trap of uh being in Japan if, if anyone's ever been there. That's it's quite uh different from most places you travel. Like it's probably the safest place in the world. Um I would never even lock my bike. I would not even go shopping, leave a bike outside, like my passport's in there, like you don't even think about it. Like right. Japanese people don't want to take your bike. Um a little different in mexico i left my bike unlocked like an idiot um oh, outside man. i think i went i think i was just grabbing a coffee or something at this coffee shop and then yeah i remember I used to look seen in the corner of my eye this is two weeks into the baja divide and it was uh supposed to be six weeks about i was going to be doing there um yeah i just saw like this movement out the window <laughs> in my peripheral vision and it's just some guy just hopped on my bike to try to ride away and I just remember chasing him down and there's a security guard there who had this like town cruiser bike that he let me borrow. <laughs> I was, like, <laughs> trying to ride after this guy. I'm like, this is not happening. Um, yeah, police came. I remember talking to police and everything. They did all the paperwork and everything, but obviously, I mean, it was gone. <laughs> that makes me feel sick. <laughs> just Yeah, just, I mean, I laugh you know. about it now because you know, it was like three, four years ago, so I'm it's over still, it, you know. But, yeah. Uh, it's a funny story now. That's kind of what inspired the the bike, na- the thief name. Right. So, oh, there you go. Yeah. So, uh, good segue, yeah, something right? Something good came of it. Yeah, 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 yeah for awesome. sure. So um, how long have you been building bags for or fabricating bags? Um, that would have been, I did Baja 2017, January 2017, I think. So it was right after I got home from that. I made my own bag, my own frame bag for that trip. Okay. Um, Having just no idea how to get one or I bought some material and then uh, my mom showed me how to sew and I <laughs> used an old sewing machine That's that awesome. she had that was that belonged to my Oma, my grandmother. And uh, cool. so I made that one frame bag. It kind of worked out pretty well. And who knows, maybe it's still down there somewhere attached to my bike. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, once I got back from that um, misadventure, I guess uh, it was with my friend Doug, who was kind of helping out at the time. It's pretty much just me doing it now, but uh we bored a bunch of sewing machines and ordered a whole bunch of fabric and uh, kind of just watched a bunch of YouTube videos to taught ourselves how to sew and, and yeah, we came up with the name thief, which is pretty good. I think um, yeah, yeah. we had a few, we had a bunch of ideas and now it's been, I guess um, over two years, almost three years now. And it's still like, I still love that name. So it's kind of like yeah. stood the test of time, I guess. And sure. uh, yeah, it slowly got better and better and better at it. And, yeah, still doing it. Kind of like as a, I guess, kind of a side hobby business because this past summer I was working two jobs. So it was uh, my third little side job. And 
the plan was this winter just get more into it and kind of build up an inventory rather than just kind of responding to one order at a time. But um, I've had a lot of fun doing it and yeah. kind of doing custom frame bags and all kinds of colors and, you know, just trying to be a little bit different. I know there's so, so many, you know, options out there now for bike packing gear. There really are, but I think there's still a market for, um, um, uh, high quality handmade. Yeah, definitely. Thoughtfully made <coughs> bags. Um, you know, mm-hmm. not, not trying to like be too negative about the, the major industry, but I just think that like, the first bag I bought was like a porcelain rocket bag. Yeah. So dealing with, with Scott was just a pleasure. He's, you know, yeah. he's just a great guy to deal with. And mm-hmm. man, I haven't even, I think that thing's like, like five years old now and like the yeah. zipper's still intact and oh yeah yeah nice. it's just like it's a beautiful bag i have a tiny triangle it's the only problem about yeah it. it's a tiny bag. yeah so I wish it were some bags like that yeah. yeah it's just a progressive style frame but um mm-hmm. what so what did you use uh to kind of cut your teeth were you using like were you using just regular fabric like before you started using um, the expensive stuff like how no you- the first the first frame bag i made was just um fully out of cordura which is a pretty standard backpack outdoor kind of fabric. It's just a lot of nylon, ripstop nylon. I use a PVC back nylon and Cordura. Um, I've gotten my hands on some X-Pack, which is kind of what all the highest end bags are made out of. I haven't really made anything out of it yet. Um, it's hard to source that in Canada, actually. I've looked all over and it's quite expensive. Everything else, I have a, my, I have a fabric wholesaler based in Calgary where I get pretty much a, actually entirely everything yeah they don't sell um, they don't supply x-pack they don't do x-pack no mm. i've asked them if they could get it and they can't but everything else ripstop and cordura even like like zippers and webbing and velcro and all that kind of stuff so it's pretty handy that they're there and i'd make an order and then pure later it gets it here in two days <laughs> yeah so, yeah that's pretty handy that's awesome um yeah i just remember when we started like now there's so many options but it seemed like it, even three years ago there a lot of the big like there's the main like Revelate Designs and and mm. companies like that and Porcelain Rocket, but a lot of them aside from Porcelain Rocket was all US based and it's at the time it probably still is wasn't as widespread in bike shops to get those bags and with import duties and exchange rates and all kinds of shipping and like those things ended up being really really expensive. Yeah. So we just thought, hey, let's start making making our own. Yeah, I think there's definitely a niche for that, you know, and yeah. we can. I think we can. I think we need more of it and I think we just need more like DIY stuff and yeah, you know, I think that's, um, that's fantastic. Yeah. I don't want to like give away my secrets, but no. it's not that hard. It's not that hard. <laughs> it's funny. The frame bags are easy, uh, not easy, but like they're not that challenging. The hardest one we make, like a, I make a feedback style bag. Yeah. Um, call it the watering hole, which is like just the size of like a one liter Nalgene. And that was gone through like, so many changes and it just keep thinking about small things that can change and make better. And like, I'm finally at a point where it's like, it's been like three years. I'm like, okay, this is finally good, but that's a lot harder to make than a frame bag, even though it's just a lot smaller, but it's just a lot more, I guess more intricate and some more details to it. But, um, it's just like, yeah. yeah like, like a, a frame bag versus a, like it would take twice as long to build a feed bag or, or a, so I'd say um, a top two bag or something. I haven't even done much for a top two bag. Um, frame bag does take a bit longer. Um, it really depends. I do a lot of, um, I found out one of the most time consuming things is cutting materials. 
um, that's really irritating and, and boring. <laughs> so I just do, I have like, I have like templates and then I know all the measurements of say webbing and, and string and stuff. So I'll spend a couple hours just cutting in advance so I can make right. say like 20 feed bags at once or, you know, five frame bags or something. So yeah. if it was to do one at a time, like the, the time consuming part actually is kind of cutting and preparing materials. I think sometimes that takes longer than actually sewing. It's part, of, but it's part of the game, right? It's like you need oh, to have totally your, is, yeah. your parts for assembly, right? So you get it all yeah, kind of exactly. ready, and yeah. yeah, that's cool. And the, can can people just use like a regular household machine? Or um, does it need to be more powerful? Or it doesn't. I've, I've I'm on like my sixth machine now, and it's a 1947 Singer, so it's super old. That's your Oma. It's, you said your Oma's. No, no, it was. Uh, I was using the the first one I used was. It was handed down from my Oma to my mother to me. It was an old Kenmore, like built in, like from Sears. All right. Built into a table. I think I burned the water out on that one, just stopped working. <laughs> and then tried a bunch of kind of whole machines. Um, the older ones, like you can, like most people, if, if you're doing it as like a full production, you'd have a, like a full on industrial machine, um, which are big and heavy and expensive and take up a lot of space. Yeah. So the, the old singer I have is, awesome it does it does a straight stitch and that's it there's no features there's no obviously it's not computerized or anything um the, i found like it was not i always thought the um the heaviness and thickness of the fabric i was using was causing machines to have issues and jam but i think i've discovered that it's more the heavy thread that i use okay um newer machines have a lot of plastic parts internally all right um dude they, they don't, don't build like, stuff like they used to no, that's you know, why I found using out the machine the, from the '40s, and it's still yeah, working. it's amazing. Yeah, it's, that's crazy. Yeah, it works amazing. So yeah, I found that yeah, you don't want to use a the same thread you'd use to sew a t-shirt because it'll just rip. Right. So I use like a heavy upholstery level thread, mm. and it gets really jammed up in standard home machines. So right, yeah. cool. So you started building. Do you build stuff for friends and? um was that how kind of you got rolling? Like, hey man, try out this. Yeah, I kind of did. We were in, um, yeah, we were in based out of the Ottawa Valley when I was working down in in Pembroke and Petawawa, and there's a pretty good community of cyclists there, um, especially for like the fat biking community. There is pretty amazing. Oh yeah. And then I got a couple friends that kind of spearhead like trail development, and my friend Cam runs a couple races. Oh, I'd love to so go back east to ride fat bikes. Like for being yeah. being back there, it'd be so cool to go back and ride fat bikes in Ontario. It'd be yeah, so fun. yeah. My friend Cam Dubé runs uh, a winter fat bike ultra. Um, he does like I think it's like 50, 100, 150. and I think this winter they're doing a two hundred k option. So it's pretty awesome. But yeah, they have a the trail association in Beechburg has a, a groomer, and they also ride all those um, like there's miles and miles of uh, snowmobile. Trails. Oh yeah, like in around Eganville and, and stuff, like all yeah, throughout there. Oh, there's, yeah, there's tons. Yeah, but I just started. We started giving bags away to like my buddy Cam and and all the riders there, and we're selling them for super cheap. Um, I'd always give Cam bags as prizes for his races, and I still do. That's cool. Um, and I, I talked to some of the people that have some of the early bags and they're still holding up. Oh, that's like, great. Okay. Like theoretically the ones I make now should be much, much better. <laughs> and I've, I've obviously had my own, which I use, um, a jam as full as I possibly can. So yeah. yeah, some of the ones from two, three years ago are still going strong wherever they are in the world. And yeah, it's, yeah. So it just kind of started. It was a lot of word of mouth. I still don't even have a website because <laughs> you know, I, Sometimes I leave for months at a time and go on trips. Right. So I don't want to, 
I think that's the winter's project, but um, it's just kind of word of mouth. People contacted me through Facebook and Instagram, which is pretty amazing. Well, that's way cheaper than running a, running a store, an online store. And you know, I've got your webpage loaded up right here on my TV and it's like, you know, that's good, good enough. Like you could have pictures of all your stuff and just like, yeah, give me a call. Oh, totally. Yeah, I'll yeah, have to give you a call. Yeah, maybe I need, I need another frame back, actually. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> no problem. I'm so tired of switching it between bikes. It's such a pain in the ass. Oh, I know. I have to yeah, once it's it on, it's like, I don't want to move it. Yeah. And and I think at first, you know, I've been riding with a frame back now. It's like, that's that's um, a staple piece of gear now. Yeah. That and my top two bag. And it's just like, mm-hmm. I don't want to carry anything on my back anymore. I just love having no, everything I, on the bike. I never will ever wear a backpack. Yeah. Even just and, for trail riding. You know, no, I, like, yeah, I can't. Stand yeah, it. I'll just throw the bottle in the bag. If I'm going for a two hour ride, I don't need much stuff. I'll just throw the bottle in the yeah. bag, right? And uh, yeah, it's yeah, my game changer. Yeah, I have a, a couple half frame bags I've made for my, I have one for my road bike, which is just always on there. Yeah. Like, like a little tangle bag, like that top yeah, two. Yeah, exactly. Under top two. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah. did you, um, obviously, let's, let's talk about the Odyssey. Let's talk about this. Yeah. Let's talk about your rig. So did you have your stuff on there? Your, your own. Uh, I did. Yeah. Bags? So for, for the Japanese Odyssey, I was riding my Surly cross check. So this is actually, it was kind of like, it's a, it was a pavement event. So I know that's kind of like in the bike packing world, you try ah. to avoid that as much as possible. But, no, uh, it, it's an event. It's it awesome. was, yeah, it was amazing. Um, yeah, I had my Surly cross check, uh, which is funny. The same bike I used for my first tour in Japan. Uh, four years oh, ago, cool. but I've gone. Th- I was thinking, so it's the frame is the same as. There's only two other parts on it that are, that are the same. Uh, front derailleur and the crank set are the originals, but right. everything else I've changed out sometimes, multiple times. So over the summer, I built up a nice set of wheels and all kinds of stuff like that. So, but I was running kind of a bike packing setup. So I had a my Apidura seat pack, um, half size frame bag, two of my feed bags, the watering holes, and then two top two bags and had a very small three liter um, handlebar roll. That's a good name. So, yeah. What, what, what was it? The watering holes. That's the watering great. hole. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was a pretty, pretty lightweight streamlined bike packing setup. Um, very minimal sleeping kit. Uh, Japan's amazing. Cause you don't have to, you know, plan logistically for being, you know, long stretches without food or water. So I had no, no cookware or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was it, um, so the weather, would it be kind of like West coast of what, like over kind of West coast of BC, like kind of rainy um, and we not, we saw everything basically. So it's a, it was a 10 day event. Um, should I just tell you what it was basically? Yeah. Like tell, tell me how you, how you learned about it. <clears throat> yeah. So and then what motivated you to do it? I mean, obviously you'd been there before, so it's probably like, yeah, Hey actually, man, that looks I- like fun. So let's go. Pretty much, yeah. I learned about it. This is the fifth year of the Japanese Odyssey. So the first one was the same year I was there on my own bike tour. I don't remember when I first learned about it, but it was right around, maybe it was just before, just after I was there. And I looked at it and kind of saw it on their website. I don't think, I think the first year they only had eight or nine people register. Um, and this year we, there's over 50. Um, so it's grown quite a bit. Awesome. But I just remember seeing it at the time thinking like that's so absolutely ridiculous and insane like so so what what are the details of it like how how far because um, it seems like does every year do they change it slightly because it does it change seems, every okay. year yeah so the organizers two guys from france um guillaume and emmanuel they, they give you a start point and a finish point and then there's any number of this year was 14 different checkpoints throughout so there's checkpoints or segments um this year was seven checkpoints seven segments 
Um, every year is different. Um, usually in the past, they've done loops. So start and finish was in Tokyo. Um, this year, the start was in the far south, in the city of Kagoshima, which is the southern, southern, south of the most southern island of Kyushu. And it finished in Tokyo. So the every year, the uh, distance is different. I think this was one of the shorter ones, but it was uh, worked out to about 2,200 kilometers. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's and a you fair get, distance. Um, yeah, and that's over this. You had uh, ten days to do that, so it's technically they don't call it a race, so they they don't like to say it's a race. It's more just an event and an adventure. But there is a cutoff time, so if you want to say that you've done it, um, it was ten days, or it's ten and a half days this year. It's two hundred and fifty-two hours you had. Um, I think past in the past, some of them have been fourteen days. Uh, it's always slightly different and it's kind of cool that way each year you know you come back i could go do it next year and it would be a different event right so it's not like this it's not a predetermined route and it's the same every year so which is pretty cool yeah um yeah i think i just got interested it the first time i saw it but it was at the time to me it seemed so like impossible kind of followed it the next couple years and then i think it was last year i was like okay i definitely want to do that someday and then it kind of finished the silk route right around the same time that um, the Odyssey started. I was like, not going to be possible. I'd be way too exhausted and had no time to train. And then it was just last March or April or something. I just, I just signed up. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it finally. <laughs> so uh, yes, signed up, sent in my money and registered and yeah, that was it. What was the cost? And it, it was, I think it was 300 and something years. We're to about 330 bucks Canadian, yeah. um, which included a rental of a spot tracker. Oh, okay. Um, Just, it's a bit uh, really, not traditional based on kind of the bike packing events we have around here where you have to pay. Is there insurance? Yeah. Is it an insured event or? No, I, I'm really like, I'm not sure what you get for that. Cause there's <laughs> nothing. It's just, they basically give you the route, you know, I got a cycling cap, which is cool, but it's not worth 330 bucks. Right. Um, well, probably a little bit of a profiting, you know, which isn't bad. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Right? They do. I mean, for them to, you know, go there and the organizers are there and there's mm -hmm. a couple of cars that follow there. There's no ah, like, okay. support. There's no, like they don't, they're not there to help you. Even if you get hurt, they're like, you're on your own. Yeah. But, but there's a lot of photos. Um, we just, they just sent out a, like the link to like some of the pro they had a couple of Japanese photographers there that took some pretty phenomenal pictures. That's pretty cool, actually. Um, yeah. And then it's kind of cool. Just, yeah, you get the spot tracker and just the checkpoints. And then, so the cool part of what I think is cool about this event is that you plan your own route based right. on the checkpoints they give you, which to me is uh, something I really like doing. Um, so I spent most of the summer just, you know, pouring over maps of Google Maps and Rabbit GPS and getting my route together, which every single day I was there, it, it changed drastically sometimes, but, um, it had a, had a plan to begin with at least. Um, yeah, no, that's cool. So you went and then what was the vibe like at the, at the start? It was pretty cool. I mean, uh, I don't like talking to people that much. <laughs> oh, sorry. Like that. Well, we can just end this right now. That's fine. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not, not like that. When there's like 50 people all like decked out in like their road riding gear and like yeah. all these bikes, I'm kind of poking around looking at stuff and just been like, oh, here to, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. But it was pretty cool. It was pretty relaxed. You know, it wasn't like you could tell there were some people that were there to like do it as hard as they could. And some right. people just kind of, you know, want to see what happened or just signed up just to see if for fun kind of thing. 
it wasn't an ultra competitive vibe. Um, there's definitely after a couple of days, you can see the spread. If you're following like on the spot tracker, there's probably about 10 guys who were, they were fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they just kind of took off like a shot. And then it was, yeah, it was kind of pretty low key. I, I rode with a couple of people the first few days, just for maybe a couple hours a day and ended up riding the last four days with two guys. Um, we kind of linked up and, and started riding. We were leapfrogging each other the whole time. And, we caught a ferry together. We went to a bike shop and then we still didn't start riding together until it got some really, really nasty rain. And we're just like, let's just, it was miserable and pretty unsafe. Even we, oh, we, yeah. we said we, we slept for about 30 minutes one night in a, in a convenience store and like, it just sucked. It was, we were completely soaked and we're like, let's just keep going. Cause might as well. Why not? <laughs> yeah. So like ride three together because they were, they were a pair and rode together just, for safety and moral support. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. And then, gets you uh, yeah. Yeah. So I finished with those guys, which was awesome. Cool. Yeah. It was a pretty, pretty relaxed vibe. Um, yeah, it was fun though. Nice. And how long did or so, um, uh, there's epic climbing in this. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So the checkpoints are, if you looked at, if, if you found a map of where they are, they're kind of, they're not places you'd normally go. <laughs> um, they want you to ride, in some pretty remote places on some pretty big mountain passes and and having been to japan before i knew that the gradients are incredibly steep um you think that riding it's like, okay i ride in the rockies so you know this is the mountains right it should be good but yeah. it's like no like wow we don't we don't even have hills here compared to japan oh no it's it's crazy within the first couple hours i was on an 18 percent grade uh, wow climbing like, that's kind of like okay i'm gonna get off and push for a little while but um yeah i kind of did tracked obviously everything i did and one day my biggest day was about 250 k and five thousand meters of climbing <laughs> which was just i rode um last summer as a train ride i rode from calgary to canmore via highwood pass yeah and that was 260 k and like 2600 meters so that's a big climb too man and that's a big climb yeah, yeah. so same distance and gives some perspective. The, yeah, it gives some perspective. The climbing. Yeah, oh my goodness. it was it was crazy. The climbing is I don't even know how to really put it into perspective. You just climb for hours and hours, and it's so steep. How was your it's gearing? Like, what? I have a I have a triple. Uh, <laughs> no, nothing wrong yeah. with that. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, I have a mountain mountain drivetrain, so it's like twenty six thirty six forty six, and then. 1132 in the back so it's a 10 speed triple so yeah. it's, it's pretty bad. good yeah it's not bad um even still there's some some roads where it's just you can't do it you just have to push yeah, you probably <laughs> well once you get down into like 2632 you could probably walk that fast yeah definitely you know like you're mean? climbing and looking down at my gps like four or five kilometers down i'm like okay like might as well yeah. get off and i kind of gave up the whole idea of of riding everything like you know when you trail yeah. ride it's like i'm gonna do that climb man i'm gonna hit that climb i'm gonna do that climb but when you're bike packing it's a little different like i've no yeah, it's, no reservations to hop off it's no, like this is so slow i might i'd rather yeah walk. <laughs> yeah me too sometimes it's like you know what stretch out some different muscles give yeah. your backside a little rest and... keep, just keep moving forward right and it's just sometimes yeah. it's just easier and faster to just get on your feet yeah, yeah. there is some some people riding that kind of I guess more people from a road riding background that had, you know, road cleats that oh, yeah. stick out the bottom of your oh, shoe. No. And I, there was so people they had, that, they had to climb everything. Well, there's people that walked. Walk. And I, I'm, 
I caught up to a guy who his cleats were gone. He had to, this guy, I think he replaced them. He bought three sets of cleats at a bike shop. He's warm out walking. Yeah. Completely warm out. Oh my goodness. Footwear. So important. I gave up the cleats too. I just ride flats. Oh really? Probably. Well, you know, in the mountains, it's so much nicer to just get on your feet. And like, I would just wear, um, uh, Merrill Moab twos. And, okay, they're, and they're yeah. they're fine, and then you know flat pedal like Chromag scarabs. They're like, yeah, it's like a rock band stage. They're just these massive okay. platforms, <laughs> right? So you nice. you get tons of purchase. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just I found and my feet are comfy. You know, yeah. I don't. I have I have Fred Flintstone feet. They're super wide, so I put on these bike shoes, yeah. and they're never that comfortable. But yeah, maybe on a road ride it'd be different. I'd probably want to be clipped in, but not with like yeah. a road cleat. No, definitely not. <laughs> I, yeah, I've never like I clip in on mountain bike and bike packing, and I've thought about you know certain like I, I did a trip in Ecuador and I was like almost went to flats and then yeah. I didn't. It's like just because of the hike of bikes and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I find very I I think there's um there's some videos on YouTube that compare the power transfer like clipped in and not. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really detect much mechanical advantage. I, I no. don't, you know, like, like if I'm, if I'm riding my single speed, I want to be clipped in because oftentimes yeah. you have to just like wind it out. Right. And you mm-hmm. need to be attached. Otherwise you're going to fly off your bike. Yeah. But I haven't found much mechanical advantage to it. There's been the positives of comfort and, uh, um, just great tread when you're walking. Yeah. It yeah. T- totally outweighs any, any, you know, 10% power advantage yeah. i might get i don't know yeah but everyone's yeah i've never it. really thought about it as power advantage and i just maybe it's because i haven't ridden flats with like really good pedals but i hate when my feet slip oh like, yeah well the the pins on these pedals it. now i guess you, you don't want them to so hit good. you yeah because oh, no, no, they'll no. completely <laughs> leave a mark in your shin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually the only the only downside <laughs> i found with having flats was if you're walking uh and it's super narrow and there's not a lot of path um, those pedals are massive, and I kept yeah. on one on one ride. I kept getting clipped in the calf, and oh. and I actually had sc- bleeding scratches on my calf because yeah. <laughs> I kept catching them. I was like, God damn it! it just, I couldn't not. I couldn't <laughs> avoid it. They just kept scraping me. Yeah, I guess I could have just rode it, but it was too steep. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. So, how long did it take you to do that? We I finished in just under ten days. Actually, it was. Um, I think it was like 16, 17 hours short of the cutoff. So yeah, actually we got to Tokyo, rolled in it like, cause we, you finished riding into Tokyo, which was pretty crazy. Yeah. It's a pretty big city. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I just remember coming in at night, I was riding with those two guys, Gavin and Stu. I, I started riding with these two guys and um, we're just running every single red light. It's like 10 PM. Of course, on the last day it started raining again. And we're just like, we need to finish this. And actually we I had to book, I, booked a hotel for the last like three nights and I had to book it for a night early because we came in a bit earlier than had planned. So yeah. It was pretty so cool. that worked out well. Good timing. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it was kind of cool going from these like remote mountain passes. It's pretty, pretty easy to get away from things and people in Japan, um, which most people probably don't think of, but it's still a very rural country. I'm going to sound like a dummy, but it's like, you know, for the population that's on that, that group of islands it's like yeah. you, you would think that the person per mm-hmm. square footage would be really high and it would be actually quite difficult to get remote so i find it interesting yeah, that you're saying that it's it's cool yeah it's uh, 125 million people and it's it's a still a fairly big country um 
I've read a book. There's a, one of my favorite books is um, by a author called Will, Will Ferguson. He's actually from Calgary, I think. Oh, yeah. There's a book called Hitch and Rides with Buddha, which I've read like six, seven, maybe eight times, where he's just his story of hitchhiking in Japan. But I've learned a lot about Japan from that book. And he kind of compares, like Japan looks small on a map because it's surrounded by ocean. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the closest countries on land are like China mm. and Russia and just of these course. massive. So your point of references. Japan is, if, like, if it was in Europe, it'd be the biggest country in Europe. Like, okay. It's bigger than France, bigger than Germany. And um, so it is, it's still quite a big country. But just if you look at like the population centers, like Tokyo is something like 13 million people. But in that area, um, it's like 35 million people in the metro area, which is like what that's the population of Canada, right? <laughs> It's bananas. And then, like, it's some of their other big cities, like Osaka, is probably something like 10 million people. Like, so yeah, there's this mega cities where there's just tons of people, but then you get into the country, it's still very, um, if you're, you know, it's still a lot of agriculture. If you're on the coast, it's still a lot of fishing. Like, it's pretty traditional and it's definitely easy to get away from, from people. But then you still, yeah, you know, Riding, riding through cities is quite challenging. <laughs> and you're on the left, but, right? Yeah. As well. On the left, yeah. Yeah. It's not, it didn't take that long to get used to. No. But in in a in the chaos, it, you know, it could get you into trouble, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're just surrounded by people. That's crazy. I'd love to go no, to so yes, The city riding is, is challenging because I don't think the Japanese, they're so, such a smart group of people, but they haven't really figured out effective use of traffic lights. Like, hmm. they're just so. Like every block, there's a light, whether it's, you know, if you're on a main road and there's just like the tiniest little alley intersecting, there'll be a traffic light. Oh, yeah. And it'll be on a timer. And like there could be 50 cars backed up and nothing coming the other way, but it'll still go red. And Japanese people follow the rules too. So they'll just be stopped waiting patiently and maintains order. (laughs) Yeah. We would just ride up on the side like a bunch of jerk cyclists and then we'd look both ways and run the red light. And then the next block, all the cars would pass us again, stop in the next light. And then we'd come weave our way through all the cars, run the red light again. And, oh, gnarly. Yeah, it, get, it got, yeah, the last couple hours riding into Tokyo got very frustrating. But especially yeah, you when you're in, quote unquote racing and you have to stop every. Yeah, 50 I know. Feet. It's like, it's, <laughs> we're trying to go fast here and like, we're just constantly stopping. And then, yeah, and then looking around, seeing just like massive skyscrapers and neon lights everywhere and like, the night before we had, you know, run this remote, this like huge mountain in the middle of the night. It was like, uh, the last checkpoint was at the top of, uh, it was like a closed ski resort. Well, it closed cause it wasn't winter. And then, um, yeah, the next day we're in one of the biggest cities in the world <laughs> on our bikes. Just so crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so any sto- stories from that? Actually, I, I want to say, <clears throat> um, the signage man, like, I was looking at some of your photos and it was just like, yeah, <laughs> the signage is just crazy. No. So a lot of the, a lot of the road signs are in English. So oh, okay, it'll have Japanese and English. And then if you know, like what city you're generally heading towards and then uh, the, like, the road number. So it's all like numbered highway system, right. like normal. So it's not that tough. If there's any city name, it'll be in, in English. Right. Um, yeah. So on the picture, that's like, we're just like, I don't know. That's a cool looking sign. I like signs. Yeah. You know? road signs are cool and who knows it could have just been like don't litter or something like that but (laughs) you'd have no idea what it says because it's in japanese they always Um, have the weird kind of 
sometimes they have the animations, like the little cartoon yeah. of kind of what, yeah. what not to do. Don't pee yeah, exactly. on this person. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. There's a couple of good ones. Um, there's at the top of one checkpoint was um, a bear warning sign. <laughs> and like we're, I got to the top, it was like middle of the night. And then one of the only gravel sections was right after that. So it's like a really slow descent and then walking in some parts just it was so bumpy and the yeah. road had washed out. And, and I'm like, okay, I'm used to bears around, but like, I don't really want to see one right now. So the Japanese bears are very polite. So you don't have to. Yeah. They would be like, yeah. uh, hello there. Sorry, oh, did I scare you? So, uh, yeah. Tell me, tell me some stories about your, like what, what comes to mind when you think of your, your journey um, through there? It hurt a lot. There's a lot of physical, like my body was just like every day was something different. Like it, Oh man, it was painful. Yeah. Just with the first day, you know, not so bad, a lot of adrenaline. And then, but it was, you know, averaged 220 kilometers a day, which is, I'd never done. Last summer I rode three or four, I did four rides over 200K and that, that's the only ones I've ever done Yeah, going into the Odyssey. Um, so yeah, I just remember like being in pain a lot, which yeah. kind of sucked. Um, I've, I've had Achilles issues for five years and it's funny, like everything else hurt so much. I didn't even notice that. Oh, interesting. So like what, your knees? Yeah. Knee was bad. Your um, butt? I had to stop and buy. Yeah, I had to buy a new pair of bike shorts at a bike shop just because the ones I brought, I don't know why I didn't replace them and get start fresh. Uh, They're pretty worn out. And I'm like, this is not going to cut it. So Were you able to find the same chamois shop. you were wearing? No, totally uh, different one, which actually worked out really oh, well, good. except it was expensive, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um. There's a couple days where got a lot of rain, which um, that stands out. It's kind of funny. Leading up to the event, there was um, a typhoon tracking towards <sighs> Japan. No. It was like October's kind of the tail end of the typhoon season. And it was just built overall. Like there's a Facebook group for all the riders and we're all kind of watching it and posting updates. And it turned into a super typhoon. I don't know whatever. That just means the wind speeds are really, really fast, I guess. Um and it like it just missed Kyushu where we started and it kind of made landfall around Tokyo. So I flew into Tokyo, spent a night and then flew down south to the southern city uh, the next day. And I think a day or two later, there's most flights out of Tokyo were being canceled. So like just made it in time. And then we didn't even get rain. Um, started actually the first day we started with a big tailwind, which is cool. But um, the first day we're passing, there's a, we started right at the base of a big volcano, which is pretty much a, like a very active volcano. And you could hear rumbling and there's ashes kind of all over the road. So yeah, day one starting just riding alongside a volcano that's pretty much erupting, not like that's dramatically great. like yeah. in the movies, but like you can smell it and you can see it and you can, yeah, it was, that was cool. <laughs> but uh, I remember, I think it was day six and seven when we got a lot of rain. Um, there was a section which was always like everyone was kind of nervous about this big section between these two check checkpoint 10 and 11 there's a, a stretch of about 300 kilometers between those two checkpoints which leading up to that it was only about 100k between each one so it was a big um kind of like in the route planning stage it was a big like decision like should i there's two, basically two options there was stick to the mountains and go like straight north or cut down to the coast and ride um right along the ocean theoretically saving you know some climbing but um that was just, 
a very populated area, so it ended up being quite slow going. I remember oh, right. it was um, the hike like up to checkpoint ten was like just a hike a bike, and it was starting to there's wind coming in, rain coming in. I met a couple guys on their way down, and I was it was actually Gavin and Stu who ended up riding with later that day. I'm like, which way are you guys going to go? Because we could either go back the way we came or continue on a different way. I'm like, we're not sure. Um, we're going to decide when we get there. We heard that someone else had come up this one way and gone back down. So I was like, all right, um, there's no cell service or anything. So I'm like, leave me, like, put it, make an arrow out of sticks pointing the way that you guys go. <laughs> and I'll go that way. Breadcrumbs. So when we're getting back down to that intersection and there's a, an arrow made out of sticks pointing left, I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then. Um, so sorry, left was, pl- left was the coast? Yeah, yeah. I had planned on actually staying in the mountains my route was in the mountains but they're like yeah we think you know saving on climb at that point after six days of climbing i was like yeah i could go for some, some probably flat. wise yeah take yeah. it easy rest up yeah that's what the plan was it ended up being two of the hardest days of the trip <sighs> we got down kind of caught up to them at a town they they had stopped at a laundromat to throw their clothes in a dryer and i stopped at a mcdonald's to eat a lot of food <laughs> And then uh, it was like 8 p.m. and then it started raining and I might as well keep going. And I rode for, I think it's about 2 a.m. I caught up to them and we were stopped at this um, like convenience store where most of our meals came out of convenience stores. Like there's 7-Elevens over there, which are not like you get here. You actually get good food out of them. Yeah. Um, it just poured rain. And then we're kind of like up until then, it was just kind of bivying wherever, you know, three, four hours a night, just set up in uh like bus shelters or wherever you can find um that night it was just you know i was already soaked i was like i don't really want to stop and then i caught up with those two guys and this other italian guy in this family mart which is the name of the convenience store they're like sitting in the chairs like heads down on the table (laughs) trying to sleep and like the owner was like or the guy working there was like following us around with a mop because we were just dripping water everywhere oh no and then at like 4 a.m., it's just like, let's just go. So we start riding. And then I had booked a hotel because I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like, so if, if we're on the coast, there's going to be, you know, there's, it's a city. So I'm going to take advantage, stay in a hotel, dry out and everything. And I had booked it for like 180 kilometers beyond where we were. I'm like, all right, that's our goal. And then we just... That was the, yeah, it was, it was a tough day. We uh, got completely soaked. The traffic was horrendous. Like it was, that was the disadvantage of, of going the coastal route, just trucks and lots of trucks. Basically. And the spray, right? If it's raining. The spray, just oh the my spray goodness. Yeah. Anything, right? And like, yeah, Japanese roads are very narrow. Um, cars aren't that big. Even trucks aren't that big, but they're big enough that when they pass and it's loud and it's raining and they leave, yeah, maybe they give you a meter, but that's that's scary. <laughs> like some of them, the draft would kind of push you around, and we changed our route so many times that day. We stopped at like every every convenience store, just like you need a coffee, you need a hot chocolate, warm up. Again, like we'd feel so bad for the staff because we're just dripping oh. <laughs> wet. Like the final, we stopped at a, a KFC. Just <laughs> like I don't know why we're eating at a KFC, and like just three of us, just so miserable, like. I think the hotel we were planning on going to was still 80 kilometers away. Like, we're not going to make it. Like, let's let's find something closer. So we found something like 5K up the road, right? Booked that one. Got there. It was like 2 or 3 in the afternoon. That was the shortest day. I think it was only 120 kilometers that day, but it was off 30 minutes of sleep and 
220 the day before. So, yeah. you know, cut myself some slack on that one. But um, I remember getting in the hotel room, unpacking. So I have like the Apidura Expedition CPAC, which is in my mind, like the best CPAC there is. Like it's so good. I never worry about my sleeping bag when it's in there. Right. And I unpacked it. It was soaked through. Really? I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was wet. I think it was the bottom side from the spray from my wheel. Just constant, just driving through the material. hours of, yeah, it just uh, soaked right through. I'm like, oh my God. So I remember having a nap, doing laundry. We got the hotel to order us a bunch of pizza and then slept a bunch and kept going the next day, which worked out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, it's not, sometimes it's, you just need to do that. You need to just refuel. Yeah, it was... Like we were so miserable. Like we can't keep going. And like, what's the point of like killing ourselves to get sixty or eighty more kilometers, or do it fresh tomorrow? Like, yeah, that was a lot of my mindset when I was even on my own. It's like I didn't have a, a regular schedule of like I, I knew approximately how much I wanted to do each day. I remember one night I just, I was so exhausted. I think it's the end of day three. I stopped at about eight thirty p.m. or nine. Like I'm just gonna sleep now. Like slept from nine and I think I woke up at two and I continued riding at two thirty. So it's like what do, what is sleeping from nine to two or like ride till one AM and sleep till seven AM? Like what difference does it make? It's yeah, stop for the same amount of time it doesn't and then matter anymore. Yeah. yeah. It probably felt fantastic, like after five hours. I sleep. thought I would. I was I oh, I was no. a good I had a great sleep. I remember the next day it started with a climb. And it was like, I think I left it just before 3 a.m. I started riding and pitch black. And, oh, I was in so much pain. It was just like day four. My legs were killing me. I remember sometimes when I'm by myself, I just like, well, I talk to myself or signal myself. But sometimes I just like let out screams and just (laughs) yell. Like if it's windy, I yell at the wind. Or if the hill's too big, I'll just sometimes, you know, I probably shouldn't say those words on the podcast. But um this is fun. I was, I was climbing and I was just like, I think I stopped at one point. I laid down just in the middle of the road. I'm like, this pavement is so comfy and cold and it felt great. And I'm like, just this remote road leading up to this mountain pass. Like there's nothing out there, no cars, no buildings. I'm not going to see anyone. Start riding again. I'm listening to a podcast or music or something. And I, I remember going around the switchback and I just like, I just screamed because I was in pain. It's like, ah, well, whatever I said, come around the corner. My light shines off of two, two bikes. I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> pull out, pull out my headphones and I could hear like yelling. They're like, what, what's going on? Are you okay? I'm like, oh, sorry, man. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Just venting. Turned out it was, yeah, turned out it was Gavin and Stu who I ended up riding with like five days later. They called, they, they were bivvying on this ledge. And I remember Stu, they, they told me they laughed about it like 10 times a day for the rest of the trip. But uh, Stu had been like terrified that his buddy Gavin fell off the ledge and was like <laughs> hit the ground and was dying or something. And then they found it. And it was like, what the hell was that? It's like is that that was Mike. Like they, they called me Alarm Clock Mike for a while because they're like, well, we're up, so might as well keep going. Oh, yeah. yeah, I saw them a couple more times after that, and they're like, that was you. I'm like, yeah, sorry, I woke you up, guys. <laughs> That's funny. It can be frustrating, right? Um it yeah yeah especially when you're broken down like just emotionally broken yeah down. i was yeah i was still like i felt pretty good like mentally the whole time which i knew was going to be quite like at least half the battle like i'd done enough training not i didn't train too intensely but i'd done enough big rides and i've done enough trips in the past to know it's like 
okay, I could do it. Like, as long as I'm not going to get seriously hurt or have a serious mechanical or, you know, something out of my control, like the weather, like I'll be able to do it. It's just a matter of, you know, it's going to suck at times. You just have to make the best of it. Like, yeah. For every high, there's a low, right? Yeah, for sure. Or sorry, for every low, there's a high. For every yeah, low. and they they just, they can just be very extreme on a on a thing on a, something like the Japanese Odyssey or any other big ride or race. Yeah. So, what about uh, what about uh, I mean, those are those are some. It's funny we tell these stories about how miserable we are, but you know, you're saying it with a smile on your face. You know, you look back yeah, no, kind of fondly at it, right? Oh, it's even like, at the time, I was still having fun. Like, I'd never really like applied myself to anything like that you know even in so i think back to school i was pretty uh coasty pretty not yeah exactly <laughs> i could i could coast and like get a b or i could try really hard and get an a it's like right. i'm not gonna try that hard yeah. <laughs> so, just so enough to good. get by like, yeah even just i remember just when i signed up i felt really good i'm like wow yeah. i've like done that it's something i wanted to do for a while so you know it yeah there's times I, I never really want like there's no point where I want to stop or give up or right. anything like that. Like that's good. I think if I hadn't met up with Gavin and Stu on that really shitty rainy day, I might have felt a bit different. Like that was that would have been a tough go by myself. Yeah. Um it was it was fun to have people there. Like was the pack of, pretty or, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna like one or throughout the rest of the ride, like maybe one or two of us even at the worst, like it'd be two of us maybe feeling like crap or there'd still be one guy like, all right, like it's not that bad. Let's keep going. Or like, Hey, let's stop and get a coffee or just someone to be the voice of reason and, and kind of keep the, the others going. So was the pack pretty spread spread out? It definitely was like the guy who finished first, this Japanese guy, I think he's finished first the past two years, this guy named Yusuke. He finished in six days. Like it was insane. Wow. <laughs> yeah so the it was spread out for sure um we were some of the last finishers actually so there was i think 52 53 people started and there's 22 finishers so um a lot of people didn't make it and i know behind us only a few hours after we had passed one of the roads on the coast on that rainy day that road was closed for for quite a while at least overnight so some people behind us got stuck um which sucked. Oh, that would suck. And they, but, they, could um, they get out of it? Could they go back around a different way or? I don't know. I think they were kind of in the middle of it. And I think they waited it out and some of them had to, you know, scratch and couldn't quite make it. So yeah, there's, it did spread out after a while. Um, you could kind of tell there's like the fast guys and then the group in like, I was kind of in the middle of the pack, I guess. And it was fun to watch, you know, see where people are and, you pass someone and then like, I haven't seen that guy for two days. And you look up and like, Oh, they're either way behind or way ahead, or they're just close by. And we just haven't seen them or right. something. But yeah, just to watch, to check in and see where this Yusuke guy was every day. You're like, how the hell are you doing that? Like you just, this guy's not sleeping. Like, so he must've been doing like mid four hundreds a day, right? Yeah. That's like Mike Hall. It's like a Mike Hall rider. Yeah. You know, probably yeah, didn't he sleep. He probably just stayed on his I bike. I don't think he slept. I remember seeing wow. his bike. It was like, it was just like, it looked like an old aluminum, nothing special kind of road bike, V-brakes. I think he had like a, a yoga mat looking thing on it. So he may have laid down for a little bit, but um, he just rode like <laughs> nonstop. 
That's awesome. Like he had finished and like gone home wherever he lived and probably gone back to work or <laughs> Fully something before the next finisher even came. Yeah. Oh, are you yeah. guys still doing that race? Oh, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. So what about uh, what was kind of other than finishing it, which was, which congratulations, it's massive. Oh, it's massive. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what was like one of the high points for you? Um, I don't, that's hard to say. So, like, it's funny, like trying to think back, I've tried to go back and like do a journal or something like that. It's hard to um, reassemble sometimes. Eh? Yeah. So normally if I'm on a trip, I'll do it at the end of every day, but like, I just didn't have the time. Right. I was like sleeping four hours a night and riding 20 hours a day. Like I'm not going to take the time to <laughs> write in my notebook. So looking back, it's like trying to differentiate the days. I think just hitting some of those checkpoints and like there's some pretty amazing places to see, like just getting to the top of a climb and you're like, all right, now I get to go down. <laughs> um, tunnels sometimes, that was kind of funny. Like Japan has just thousands of tunnels because it's such a mountainous country. Yeah. And they kind of provide like such a emotional high when you're on a climb and you're just going up and up and up and then you see a tunnel at the top. And that just means like, okay, the climbing's over. We're going to go through this tunnel and then go down on the other right. side. And that just like, that feels so good. <laughs> yeah. No um, and then just some of the, the food, like Japan has phenomenal food. And like even eating out of convenience stores is like, it's so good. <laughs> like yeah, what, what were you eating stuff. mostly? A lot of noodles, uh, like a lot of ramen and udon noodles, um, and rice and chicken and mostly that. And then a lot of junk, like Snickers bars and chips and cookies and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, they had, like you just go into a convenience store and get a bowl of noodles and they'll heat it up for you and it's so good. <laughs> yeah, especially so, after all that rain. Yeah. It's warm bowl of soup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, eating five, six meals a day is always fun when you're on a trip like that. And yeah, I think each day kind of had a like hitting the checkpoints was, um, I think that definitely helps kind of if it was just say a, a race or like a route that you're following from start to finish, it could get very repetitive or like like having 14 checkpoints kind of breaks it down and like you feel like you're hitting two a day for example it just you have these like two milestones for that day and it's mm. like all right knocked one knocked another one off so that feels good and they're all they're always at the top of a mountain pass so <laughs> you hit the checkpoint and you finish off a climb and then you get a big descent so that always is like a good good feeling for that part of the day yeah that's cool man that sounds like an amazing adventure like especially in another country like yeah the ride yeah. like yeah japan has phenomenal roads yeah. like you'd be hard pressed to find gravel or anything in japan like everything's paved you'd be in the middle of nowhere some remote mountain road and it's it's paved you know it's it's awesome um and then yeah logistically even like not if just want to someone wants to go bike touring like it might seem intimidating because it's a foreign language and foreign alphabet too you know so it's almost impossible to understand the language but like logistically it's so easy you can pretty much camp anywhere you want you can always easy access to food and water and if you have the time they have uh, hot springs everywhere so my first tour i i took advantage of the the onsens they're called so it's a nice to soak in hot spring at the end of a long day of riding yeah didn't quite have the time on on this time around but um yeah it's a pretty awesome country just to to ride in so nice and is it is overall is it pretty expensive I found it pretty much both times. It's kind of on par with, with Canada. Oh, okay. Um, I found prices have gone up a little bit or more. So I think it was the, um, 
the dollar's lost a bit of value mm. since the last time I was there against the yen. So um, I was spending quite a bit on a daily basis, but also like I was eating a ridiculous amount of food. Right. Um, shopping in the convenience stores is like obviously it's convenient, but it's fair bit more expensive than if you were to go to a supermarket. Um, which my first tour there, I had the time to go to a supermarket, so I would, you know, I'd shop around and be on a bit more of a budget. Whereas this time, it's just like literally, I've saved up my money for this. I don't care what it costs. I just need food right now. Um, for bike touring, though, like a lot of you know, that's the best part about bike touring. Like when you go traveling, for example two of your biggest expenses are what like accommodation and transport so you kind of take those out of the equation if you yeah. ride your bike and, and camping so you're not the first person um, i've heard say that that's so yeah, interesting it's, yeah it's awesome um even still like yeah meals out are kind of on par with the canada grocery store convenience store hotels it's all pretty standard pretty consistent so it's not i've heard a lot of people say it's japan's expensive but i think you know the bullet train is probably expensive and and staying in a hostel or a hotel every night would be expensive. Yeah. But yeah. You can, I slept in some, my first, first tour there, like I, I would scope out good camp, camping spots. Um, I think stealth camping or it might not be strictly legal, but no one will ever say anything to you. Yeah. Um, this time around is like, Oh, I'm going to sleep in this bus shelter for two hours or sleep in uh, the toilet disabled toilet rooms are, are quite comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> surprisingly, as long as they're clean. Yeah. Um, Japan's cool. There's vending machines literally everywhere. Like you'll be in the middle of nowhere, come across a vending machine and get cold or hot drinks out of them, which is <laughs> quite a pick me up in the middle of the night or at the top of a mountain or something. So that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So, so you finished this, uh, how long did you linger in Japan before you went off for your next adventure? I stayed in Tokyo for three days. Um, just kind of walking around and eating. I didn't really do much. I'm not much of a traveler tourist to be honest with you, like oh. I wouldn't go see the sites. And we did. You already saw me, the sites, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I saw what I needed to see. A, yeah. It took me a surprisingly long amount of time to find a bike box. I went to mm. three or four shops and phoned a bunch of other ones. And I ended up having to take a train across the city to this one place to get a bike box. Like, I don't know why it was so hard, but yeah. So I spent a few days there and then I flew to, um, I went to Laos. So I traveled a bit more in Southeast Asia which um, when I booked flights was very ambitious. And when I got there, I was like, Oh, I should oh, have gone no. home. You weren't <laughs> feeling it. No, man. I was, I was planning on doing some more cycle touring. And then I just was not feeling it at all. I changed my flights to come home earlier, which I'm glad I did. I'd, I'd still be there if I had stuck to my original oh, yeah. plan. And uh, so I just ended up kind of, I did two days of biking and I was like, I'm still too tired. Um, I wore through my back tire pretty good on the Odyssey. Yeah. Um, I kept getting flats. I'm like, oh, I can't deal with this right now. <laughs> and the roads, yeah, it's definitely a different uh, different country for sure. Uh, Southeast Asia versus Japan. Um, Japan's more to the uh, you know Western standards of things like infrastructure and stuff right. like that. So yeah. the roads are bumpy and potholy and there's a lot of traffic and a lot of trucks and they're not very wide roads and there's not even lines painted on the roads. So it's, uh, I had a few too many close calls. I'm like, I don't need to bike anymore. So yeah, I packed up my bike and just kind of bust around to a few places and then it just became kind of a relaxing uh, vacation almost. I didn't really do all that much. Checked out some coffee shops and some cool place restaurants by the Mekong river and just 
walked around, which is kind of cool. It sounds lovely. Yeah. Take yeah, some it was, time for it was yourself nice. before you're back. Yeah. Out. And then I, uh, yeah, after I spent a few weeks in Laos and then I went to uh, Hanoi, Vietnam, mostly just because that's where my flight home is from. And that was a, a crazy place that it's just too crazy for me. So <laughs> I've heard Vietnam too much nuts. there. It's crazy. It's just, it's, I think you have to be in the right mindset to go there. And then maybe also uh, a certain type of person that I, I don't like busyness and, and I don't like loud noises. Did and, you get hassled and, a lot? I heard uh, you can get hassled not, a lot. You know. Not really. I never, I didn't go to any markets or stores really. Right. I'm like, I don't, I don't need to buy anything. I remember walking past all these places selling outdoor gear. I'm like, I bet it's really cheap, but it also bet it's really fake. Like mm. I peek it. I remember peeking in and seeing like down jackets with Gore-Tex labels on them. I'm like, I don't think that's how down jackets work. <laughs> like they're not usually Gore-Tex. <laughs> My friend Katrina gave me a, a vest. I think it's a, it's a mammoth vest yeah but it's a total knockoff man oh yeah oh totally it just even the fits weird it's like this is weird oh yeah it's like, like a boxy. weird and yeah super yeah. boxy and yeah it's still like it's awesome. warm like it's oh for sure it's i'm down. Sure still like, pretty good yeah no i yeah i just didn't even walking around it's like that's an experience just trying to walk and not get hit by a motorbike <laughs> yeah yeah i've heard it's bananas there but it is yeah i found a couple of cool coffee shops and that's where i killed my time and then had a 30 something hour transit home and then that was that <laughs> you've been chilling so yeah. um let's let's plug your bag some more so like yeah. what do you what do you have on offer um pretty much frame bags and the the watering hole which is a feed bag um i also make uh like a tool roll like a little tool wrap oh yeah and then this past summer i actually started doing my my best seller i came out with a, a bear spray holder oh nice which where does is, it go it goes right on your handlebars so yeah. same place as the feed bag goes yeah. um so i just noticing you know being a mountain biker in the rockies and also working in a bike shop i noticed that people come in with you know bear spray just dangling off their handlebars or you know stuck in the water bottle cage which you know takes up a, one of your yeah. two cages if you're lucky to have two or in your backpack which is you know when you need it it's not yeah. any good so it's like i i started thinking like hey i'm gonna actually do something about this and i made yeah just a bear spray holder that goes right on your handlebars holds a super secure velcro opening so you know you shouldn't have to open it but if you do you whip it open pull it straight out and spray the bear so <laughs> that um that's awesome yeah i sold a bunch of those and then even uh, at the bike shop i work at is uh, the bench bike shop um yeah my boss wanted a few in the shop so i got some stuff there oh, that's but- cool yeah, that's kind of what I do. And then the frame bags I do on like a on basically custom basis. So yeah. it's still, I'm not, you know, making it a volume where I'm so busy that, so it's, you know, people can send me some photos and some measurements of their frame and even pick their colors. It's like, I usually have quite a few colors um, of fabric on hand, just as I like bright colors, you know, I'm, black is boring. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, I'll do the the frame bags are, are good because I like making a something that is specifically fit for someone's bike. And then um, yeah, I've made ones for full suspension for road bikes, for mountain bikes, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so the, those are the main offerings there. And then still working on the the next the next one will be a top two bag. Um, I've done a few kind of mini prototypes, and I just gotta keep working at it. Um, Anything else like a, a CPAC is a whole lot more work. Oh yeah, I was gonna ask if you had uh, if you experimented with making any seat bags. 
I haven't even started. Um, I don't know even how I would. <laughs> um, that's the kind of bag, first of all, you want that to be waterproof, really. So yeah. then you're looking at, you know, if you stitch waterproof material, you're putting a whole a bunch of holes in it. Right? You got to tape so it? You would tape it's it got to or... be taped or seam welded or something like that. And then it's got to be like the, that's something when I, you know, when I attach my Apidura bag and I pull on the, the webbing like i reef on it to get it super tight like it's just got to be strong well constructed yeah. and strong and, and and waterproof like my frame bags aren't waterproof you know they'll they'll hold out a bit of light rain um if you encounter anything like i did in japan you know stuff's gonna get wet <laughs> i've kind of found like frame bags you know i'm not personally i just kind of make stuff that i think is useful yeah so i don't like having multiple pockets on a frame bag you know i just like one big one yeah um, they, they tend to take up space, I think, in a way. Yeah, you know what I've noticed too. Like I've made I've made ones with like a, say a small pocket on the outside. Yeah, but if you fill the frame bag and it bulges out, then you open that zipper and there's no room for anything. You can right. put like a credit card in there. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and based on like what I carry in my frame bag, which is pretty much just food and maybe fuel and a stove, if I have my full size frame bag, like so oh, that doesn't really need to be waterproof so no i find that like my my frame bag's not waterproof and and i mm-hmm. i'm i'm like a freezer bag king I, i'm a yeah I me love too. the ziploc bags oh, like yeah. the thick ones right so yeah. um yeah. it didn't really, i don't really care because everything's kind of in a waterproof bag anyway and yeah. that's a good way to compartmentalize your stuff like you can ro- yeah. roll yeah, it into a sure. ziploc and then kind of stuff it into your bag that's cool do you, um would it be uh would it be bad form to talk about like like what would a, a frame bag cost someone if they wanted a custom frame no, bag? for sure um full size frame bag i've been selling a, like a custom sized frame bag for 180 bucks um the feed bag is 50 that's pretty good and that's a good price for yeah you, for a feed bag yeah yeah and it's like yeah that's i've put a lot of hours into that one in particular yeah so um, and then the, the bear spray holder is 45. Um, then, uh, yeah, I guess a half frame bag would probably be, you know, 90 bucks. You know, I haven't made too, too many of those, but, um, yeah, it's about a hundred and yeah, hundred eighties, what I've been doing on the full size frame bag, which is like, um, as you do like a, a color accent. So if you've seen some photos, it'd be like, it's mostly black bags and then like kind of a, a pink or green or teal or whatever, like little a little accent to kind of, yeah. yeah, like a little panel. And then typically like a single pocket, but, um, I'll do it built to the measurements of whatever the frame is. Um, people can choose if they want a left or right zipper. Um, if the frame's big enough, I've been put in on the inside of the bag underneath the top tube, like along the top panel, I've been putting Velcro loops. I found that's a really good spot to stash your tent poles. Yeah. That's a great um, idea. Cause there's, that's, you know, empty space. And then, uh, yeah. Awesome. Oh, listen, I want to talk some more about stuff. Yeah, no. So tell me more. Yeah, about my something. plan. My plan for the winter was to. Uh, well, I didn't have a job until two days ago, so I was like, I'll just make bags. <laughs> so I was gonna do like stupid um, work. Hey, gets in the yeah, way of the fun stuff. Yeah, it still <laughs> is my plan to um, come up with a standard size frame bag, so may sell for a bit less. Not a custom, just like make a small, medium, large. Um, and then I can pre-make a bunch of those and then have a website. Like I do want to have a web store. Um, I've done some trials through, I think Shopify just to make a website. It's not that challenging and not even that expensive. 
Like yeah. if I'm if I sold one water and hole a month, they would cover it. So I'm I'm personally like I'm amazed that people reach out to me through Facebook and Instagram, like, hey, I want a bag. Mm-hmm. Just because it's you know, we're in the time where people just want to go click, click, click and have something show up at their door. Yeah, but there's still not, there's still discerning people out oh, there for that sure. want yeah. you know. Yeah. I and, think it's every time the I get a message, too, I'm right? just like, yeah. Yeah. It's it's just like it's so cool that like because right now the onus is on someone to reach out to me to buy a bag. So even though if I made a website, like it's still a handmade product, you know, support they're still supporting a local community business. It just makes it easier for them to do it. Yeah, for sure. So and then I could still do if I had enough of an inventory built up over the winter, I don't plan on, you know, people probably aren't thinking about buying bags over the winter. Um so have something in place by spring. Um, I can still do custom size and color bags and everything, but uh, it'd be nice just to have some, you know, that small, medium, large, so people can buy that stuff online. And yeah. then same with the watering holes and stuff. So, yeah, with the, um, yeah, because that's kind of the way a lot of the, the custom guys have kind of went is making the universal bags, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't think there's like like porcelain rocket i think is the best example they don't do custom anymore just because they got too busy yeah um it's kind of i a, don't want to do kind of a good problem to have right to be too busy oh for sure way but i can see it being and you, you can know, see, like yeah there's definitely like if you have say a small medium large offering like that'll fit most frames but there's still those there's still so many variables you know where you have like a bike like you're like a more modern trail bike with a slope top tube so you have a lot of standover height but not a big frame yeah or you have um you know even like say a full suspension bike or even like i'm sure you run in that problem where you have all these velcro straps that interfere right from your top two bags and your frame bag oh yeah just the mesh so, yeah like i yeah, can't one of I've, my one of my straps on the top of my frame bag i, I can't if i have my feed bag where i like it i, I yeah. can't use that strap yeah, it's yeah. it's annoying. So that's what yeah. I like when I make when I'm talking to someone about a bag. I'm like, hey, do you use top two bags? Like, and they'll send me say they're using a top two bag. Okay, like send me a photo of that bag with a measuring tape so I know where that Velcro is. So I'll make <laughs> the Velcro so it goes on the other side of that, right? So it doesn't yeah. interfere. Or put uh, put loops. I've done that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like put loops in the top of your frame bag and then have yeah. the Velcro straps able to like move around. I've made a couple like that where you just have a webbing with, you know, yeah. So you could move around. It does sag quite a bit more. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause if like the Velcro is coming out of the seam. Oh, it, I see. What you mean. It holds it up better. Yeah. So you might get like, this like kind of clothesline, clothesline. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. I see. Yeah, I Which is not, I mean, it depends. Some people probably wouldn't care about that. Yeah. Yeah. You could always just add more Velcro. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just loop the whole thing up or lace it on. Mm. Lace it. Yeah. On. I've seen those too. Yeah. Yeah. Be a good idea. That's cool, man. Well, um, yeah. you don't have a website. So, best place to find your stuff is on Facebook, probably. Facebook and Instagram. Just find search Thief Bikepacking. Um, I do have a domain name. You can go to thiefbikepacking.com. It'll just take you straight to my Instagram. <laughs> right. Nothing wrong with that. But um, yeah, if you just search Thief Bikepacking on, uh, I update Instagram far more. Um, so I'm on Facebook too, though, or people sometimes just find me, Mike, Mike Gurnham on Facebook. Um, yeah, through well, Instagram is usually best. Okay. And what do you have planned next? 
trips? Um, do, do you, nothing into yet. racing? Like, uh, have you done any I of the am, races around BC and Alberta here? No, I was hoping I, I had signed up for the AR 700 last year, but that's still a little in the rafting busy season. Mm. Um, I'm going to try to do it. Luckily, my, my boss is a big uh, endurance rider. He's into like randoneering and long distance okay. road riding. So you can kind of so sweet talk him. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about biking a lot. So we'd be fully. Yeah. So if I, if I, you know, bring it up early enough, I think uh, also last summer I was so into training for the Odyssey. By the time right. the AR 700 rolled around, I was like, God, I don't really feel like doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you um, want to pick your battles, right? I think too. I would like to, especially now they've changed the route. So it's a loop. It's just so much mm. easier to, to do that logistically. Um, I do like, riding the odyssey i've never i've never been a racer like a competitive anything like even i played hockey when i was younger i'm just like oh it's just kind of for fun but uh yeah the japanese odyssey was just it's kind of addicting like you're not mm. not really competing against the other riders more so just like yeah racing the clock and, and pushing yourself and challenging yourselves so yeah i've been looking for more of those like long distance events i found a few that look pretty cool um there's one i've got my eye on which again thinking like fitting into my calendar of not being in the summer. Um, there's one in the spring in Spain. Oh, yeah. It's an off-road. It's a gravel race. It's called the Iberica Traverse. Um, I think it's about 1,700 kilometers um, gravel. Yeah. That's kind of on my radar. I've wanted to. I've been looking at Spain as a riding destination for a couple of years now. Um, well, well, based on your busy summer, you're probably going to have to do winter trips to warmer yeah, climates, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's perfect. I think it's April 26th and I think it would be about eight to 10 days. So I'd be back. You know, we start uh May long weekend is the start of our rafting season. So it'd be easy to fit that in. Come back tired. Yeah. That's yeah. all good. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one though. I, yeah. That one's a good one. I, who knows? I mean, we'll see what, uh, when they come out with a new, uh, the 2020 edition of the Japanese odyssey. I mean, yeah, it'll be different that again. So yeah, it'll be different. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at more uh, events like that. I think um, there's like the Biking Man series has some pretty cool ones as well. Yeah. Um, they have ones in Portugal and Corsica. And yeah, something that's like, it needs to, if I'm going to travel, it needs to be long enough, like six day, six to 10 days, I think is kind of the sweet spot for a, a ride like that. And yeah. I like to make it and to make it worthwhile to go. Yeah, exactly. If I'm going to travel somewhere far enough, like also in mind, like I did a, just did my own bike packing trip last um, last spring. I went to Southern California and rode one of. There's a route that's on bikepacking.com, and I rode that. It was phenomenal. So nice. I like to. Southern U.S. is a pretty pretty sweet destination too because you can go in the winter. Well, yeah, and and, and, the, it's, and the, it's close, and the terrain and like is surreal yeah. in places like yeah. like through Utah and Colorado. Yeah, yeah, so the beautiful. terrain and and the weather and getting there is easy, and you're not changing time zones and yeah that yeah. must be tough just, like landing in japan and then like did, did it take you a few days to to kind of get your circadian rhythm back before you could it did but it going that way was a lot easier um i found it i think when you hit when you go west i guess so i flew from calgary to tokyo and it was pretty easy i remember landing like because I don't sleep very well on planes. So like I was super tired and my first night there, I went to bed at like 8 PM and was up by 4 AM. And the night before the race, I think it was about the same. I probably went to bed at nine. I was up at five. I'm like, that's almost perfect. Right. <laughs> like, you know, I just have to stay up later and get up early. But, um, 
after the you know after one day of riding 220 kilometers it's like all right i'm gonna sleep no matter what so yeah and that that initial you know the flight time and the you're kind of pre-training for sleep deprivation <laughs> pretty much yeah you know? that's yeah the whole thing is just a exercise and suffering and sleep deprivation <laughs> yeah. like try not to go i've never insane. slept so little in my life and then like than to get up and ride 240 kilometers the next day on three hours sleep. It's like, not supposed to be very good for us. I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't Whatever. think it is. I got, I don't, I don't start work for three weeks. I can sleep. Yeah. Lots of time to sleep. Nice. Yeah. Coming back, like, no, I'm lucky I don't have to do anything now. Coming back was a bit more, like, significantly more, more challenging. Yeah. And I didn't have, didn't have much of an issue with the time difference going to Japan. So nice. Well, cool, man. Um, thanks for taking the time to talk to me tonight. Yeah, for sure. Thank yeah. you. And um, we'll, uh, I've got some ideas about your selling your product. So okay. yeah, we should just cool. chat a bit about that. Yeah, um, for sure. Maybe I'll just send you a quick note. But uh, yeah, I don't want to make more business for you. I don't want to work you too hard. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I think I can handle it. I could probably do it. I may have to, have to hire someone. but uh, <laughs> Well, that's a good problem to have, right? Yeah. And I think we need more... Uh, we need more passionate handcrafting in the industry, like just in the community. Like and, yeah. I, know th- I know a couple people that are making stuff, really, really cool stuff. So I think, yeah. you know, the future looks bright for, for the handcrafted yeah, home-based so. business. Yeah, man. Cool. Okay, Mike. Awesome. All right. Well, take it easy. Thanks again for chatting. Eh? No, thank you, Steve. Appreciate right. it. No worries. Talk soon. All right. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Have a good one. You too. Bye. I want to thank Mike again for his time and thanks to all of you for tuning in again. I really appreciate the five-star ratings and the reviews. It's going to help Bike Pack Canada grow. So keep them up. If you want to send me some feedback, guest suggestions, or a voice intro, you can do that by emailing bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com. So we'll see you in a couple weeks. And until then, get out there, ride bikes, sleep in the woods, and keep the rubber side down. <laughs>